Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. In the world of information security, security consulting is one of the hot ticket items that many folks in the industry have spent some or all of their career doing. On the other side of the equation, enterprises regularly hire security consultants to deal with a multitude of security problems. Join us as we dig into the details of security consulting, discussing the pros and cons for both enterprises and individuals, the types of services rendered, and some thoughts on whether security consulting is something you should look into. All right, to get started, I think the canonical question of what is security consulting? And I think all three of us, to some extent, have dealt with security consulting in some way, shape, or form at some point. So I feel like we're well, we, we're, we're, we're better qualified to talk about this than most things we talk about. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very it's not a very high bar to have set. Um, but I, I so for me, I spent multiple years in penetration testing, which I think is the the big first thing that comes to mind when at least individuals think about security consulting. Drew, I know that we've actually done a bunch of pen tests together, uh, but why don't why don't you explain what what pen testing can be? Yeah, so pen testing in itself uh, can be a great journey or a terrible experience. Uh, or both if, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, or both. Um, uh, depending on your your viewpoint for it, but but on a serious note, uh, penetration testing uh, in the traditional sense, though it's changing in the industry, is a snapshot point of time view into a particular product, uh, building, or set of employees. So this can be physical or digital. Uh, it can also be social in nature, as in like social engineering. But with that, you're given a set amount of time. You're looking at a particular product and you generate a report or you write a report. Some places generate them, but uh, we write them um, from scratch to give to the client to provide value of what their current risk uh, for that particular product or that particular building presents to them. Yeah. And, and in, in, some of the, in some of the cases where I was at working as a penetration tester, uh, I had to do code review as well. So code review might not be something that some people think of as distinct. But Logan, have you have you done any like code review engagements? Uh, I've never done a code review engagement. Most of my engagements have been centered around reverse engineering something. Okay, so tell us about that. What what is reverse engineering? Uh, reverse engineering, whether it is software or hardware, um, you are provided with a black box. And then you take it apart and try and figure out how exactly it works. And the purpose for that is, well, I guess we're going to get into that later in the show. Yep, yep. But it is it is fun. Like if you if you're the sort That's of a blast. Yeah, if you're the sort of person that, as like a child, you would see a piece of technology and you would just pull it apart to see what's inside of it. This is the adult version of that, except you got to kind of figure out how to put it back together. Um, Not always. Yeah, yeah, yeah some, some, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Destructive for uh, reverse engineering. So, so code review is, I, I think, kind of lives somewhere between the two, um, where reverse engineering is you're just going to be given something, you have to pull it apart and figure out how it uh, how it works without being given much instruction. Penetration testing, you're just going in to break something. Code review is, well, we're actually going to give you the code and we want you to read through it. Um, so instead of just like kind of... <laughs> beating at things with a hammer and pulling it apart and trying to figure out how it works. It's like, here's the blueprint for how this thing works. And we need you to actually review it and determine if there are any problems. So I think I, I like to think of code review as a, a separate thing from these other, from these other entities. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, comparing or another way to think about code review and reverse engineering, I mentioned reverse engineering is black box testing. Code mm -hmm. review is white box testing. And these terms, what they mean Black box is you're given a product or uh, limited to no information about what you're breaking into except for a location or the product in front of you, right? Or a login to a system. So it's it's minimal to no information, preferably no information shared 
to the consultant. And that provides a what some believe a more real-world look at a particular product. Then we have Graybox. And Graybox, what that is, is there are some things that are communicated. So if you're doing a physical entry, uh, a gray box would be they gave you a blueprint or a map of the particular facility, right? Uh, if you're doing this on a web app, they gave you uh, a breakdown of how the web app works and the processes um, behind it. And then, um, so there is some information, but they don't give you everything, right? And then white box is you have access to everything. This is access to source code. You have dedicated resources that you can speak to and ask very pointed and targeted questions to, and they will answer them fully without, you know, restricting the flow of information to you. And when it comes to security consulting, um, the most expensive thing that you can have someone do is a black box test. And that's because they know nothing about it. And if you want them to simulate a real world adversary, such as organized crime, organized crime has tons and tons of resources. Lots of money to throw. and time. Yep. <laughs> so, so you need to throw lots of money and time at that to simulate that type of actor, right? Where uh, on a white box, you can simulate a real world like organized crime uh, threat, but it is a lot cheaper because there's so much that is given that a lot of investigation doesn't have to be done on that side. And we always recommend. Like when we're doing a penetration test, especially when we're doing it with a client for the very first time, we always recommend a white box test yeah, because it's going to be your best bang better. for your buck. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and we're here to save you money. Like if you want to pay us ungodly amounts of money to do a black box. <laughs> Not going to <great>. stop you. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And we've done it for companies. But uh, a lot of times we push like, let's do a white box. And a lot of companies, you know, that... They 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 want to do a black box because they're like, yeah, we want to see what an adversary really looks like at it. And it's like, okay, what do you want us to emulate? And they're like, we want you to emulate a state actor. I'm like, cool. I'm going to write you a $7 million scope of work. And they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, 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 why does it cost so much? It's like, you want me to be a state actor? Like, they got a lot more money than that to throw at the problem. But realistically, yep. this is what we're going to do. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, how much does a white box cost? You know, and it's like... <laughs> Now we're talking six figures, right? So yep. like yep. significantly like cheaper, significantly yep. cheaper. Um, and so that's why we always push that. My salespeople are always like, ah, I wish we could do more black box testing. I was like, yeah, that doesn't provide as much, you know, uh, value, value in my opinion mm-hmm. to the client. Yep. So two, two of the other services, uh, I, well, I guess one is kind of a bucket. So, so there's forensic investigation. So if you've ever heard of a, you know, one of these big breaches that is in the news and it's like, oh, this retailer got popped and lost all these credit card numbers. Or if, you, if you've ever gotten the notification that it's like your data was in a breach. Um, generally speaking, if the company is sufficiently large, they're going to need to run an investigation to run to ground kind of how did this happen? Uh, where did it come from? How, like, are we still infected? All of these things. Um, and typically you hire outside experts to do that. There's a bunch of benefits to having folks from from outside the enterprise. One of them being like, they, they're probably not compromised as compared to potentially all of your systems. Uh, but but forensic investigation is like, you know, there's, there's consultancies that specialize in just forensic investigation. They're able to come in and kind of do that pretty quickly and, and to great effect. Um, and then there's just kind of a bucket of like enterprise services. And I know for me, I think of this as like, it's kind of like you're outsourcing your chief information security officer role. You have somebody that is knowledgeable that you can bounce ideas off of that can be involved in conversations regarding the, you know, the position of the business and the direction that it's heading. Um, Drew, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that, that enterprise services bucket? Yeah. So enterprise services can be both tactical uh, or strategic, right? So it like when we're in, when we're performing enterprise services for a organization, it is a generally a CISO that is asking for those type of services to be performed or or they're interfacing with us more closely so that we can help them on their strategic path uh, or path, sorry. 
with the organization. Now you can have it be tactical when you have someone like a director or security engineer that needs help within certain parts of the enterprise as well. And that is less strategic and, and more like point fix time um, and, and more, you know, pointed uh, recommendations on that. And this can range from, you know, basic policy review all the way down to, um, you know, actual like strategic advisory um, services for CISOs or for the boards and stuff like this. You can even, uh, what we've done before in the past is what some places call a virtual like CISO. So they'll hire us to then be a uh, stand-in CISO while either they're looking for a new CISO or um, they're just transitioning into the space of where they need a CISO in their organization. And again, this this group enterprise services is ever expanding. Uh, we'll we'll break down some examples of it later on in this podcast, but there is more, uh, you know, that can be that can be thrown into this than we have time to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's kind of a testament to how security and privacy just as 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 part of the calculation of of business continuity is growing in importance. Like you're seeing stuff like SOC two compliance really take center stage. Yeah. You're seeing, um, you know, privacy being touted as a marketing uh, tactic now, which is like, look, whether it's so that you can sell more devices or it's that like you actually care about privacy. I, I don't really care about intent of an enterprise. I care about outcome. So the fact that we're now seeing privacy as one of the, you know, one of the big things of, of big selling points of, of dealing with different companies is, um, yeah, I think a testament to the fact that the this area with enterprise services is just going to be increasing in terms of scope. So, so all that being said, let's take some deep dives into these individual service lines. And I think we're going to start with one of, I think it's my favorite. I imagine it's probably your favorite too, Drew. And then Logan, have you ever, have you ever been in like the penetration testing world? Uh, not as a consultant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this, for for context, like I was full time working for a consultancy for years, and then did it on the side to pay bills while I tried getting a company off the ground. So like that, this was my this was a chunk of my career. And then Drew runs his uh, runs his consultancy. Um, I, I did pen- very similar work at Oak Ridge. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um. So penetration testing. Uh, what is it to a a deeper level now like what what all do we do we think about when we're talking about penetration testing breaking into buildings <laughs> <laughs> the one time that i broke into a building with drew was uh that was that was a lot of stairs <laughs> <laughs> oh man i remember uh i talk about that gig of like i use that uh that that, that gig was, so was great funny. to be on with chris but the client was less than stellar. And, yeah. and it wasn't the security team. It was the physical security team that really hated us. So yep. they would put up signs that would say like physical testing in progress, like keep your eyes out. And it's like, yep. oh my gosh, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And then they had, they had this hard stop for whatever reason. They're yep. like, you can't do testing past 5 p.m. And I was just like, well, that's when uh, the bad guys stop. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. Turns yeah, out bad, bad guys have nine to fives. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It turns out after 5 p.m., one of their main doors that stores a lot of their, uh, what I would say, critical IP uh, unlocks, like, boop, just opens up. And I remember, <laughs> I cool remember Chris, Chris was like calling me and he was like, this thing's unlocked, man. I was like, oh, OK, so we're trying to call the point of contact and we're like, just give us like 30 more minutes. Like it's everything's open now. Like we are at that time. We are already successful. In our engagement, we did what they, what physical security thought was impossible. And uh, at that time, actually, I left the consultancy that we were working for at that time um, for another job. Uh, so Chris had to write the report. And, and I, I actually, I still don't know the aftermath of like what happened. I, I know there is 
uh, physical security was less than excited. Yeah. But the people that hired us, the digital security team, was ecstatic. real excited. Yep. <laughs> so and that's that's so so penetration testing just kind of on its face is uh, the act of hiring a group to breach something that you have or attempt to breach something that you have um, with the with the intention that like, okay, we want to simulate a real world adversary that is coming after this thing that we care about. Um, it can be physical, like what we're talking about, where it's like, oh, we need you to get into this building. Most of it is digital just because, you know, the, uh, that's pretty much where all modern IP lives. So, you oh, can be attacking. Uh, I have a good digital story. So, um, uh, I was working on an engagement uh, that it was related to prototype critical infrastructure. And I was provided with a widget, a box, and it was a black box test. And what this culminated in, and this is a pattern you often see in penetration testing where um, what was provided was compromised. And then I proceeded to just pivot deeper and deeper into this network until I had full control of everything. And then the client was pretty unhappy about that. <laughs> it, it that that is a funny funny kind of outcome of of pen tests is when the client gets unhappy um but the again going back to kind of the general notion of what a pen test is is like what look we're going to give you a fixed scope so hey here's what's in scope here's what's out of scope here's the boundary and then please go after that thing you get given a time period to do it you go after it you get as much as you can and then you write up a report um and I think both both of these stories that that Logan of Drew have shared, it, it's kind of funny because when you're doing penetration testing, the what well, the the definition of success really changes depending upon who hired you. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, <laughs> there there are cases where it's like, oh, the security team hired you, and they want you to review their own tool, and it's like, okay, when you tear that thing apart and find a bunch of vulnerabilities, their predisposition is to be like, oh, that's great, that's exactly what we wanted. There are mm-hmm. cases where the security team will hire you to audit somebody else's whatever, and so the security team is happy. That with was my doing story. <laughs> yeah, but but the the parties that are going to be responsible for fixing the problems that you found are not the security team. Um, there's other cases where you know I've been involved in in penetration tests where. There's one company that has deep pockets that wants to do business with another company, um, and this other company is kind of smaller. So, so the first company has the has the weight to throw around, and they say, "Okay, well, we're only going to do business with you if we uh, run a security audit of you, and that involves a penetration test." And I'll be like, "Okay, we we go in, we compromise it, we find the data, we show that like, hey, there's security risk here," and then that then becomes part of the negotiation. Is you have to fix this first, or I've even I've even been involved in this for acquisitions, where it's like, oh yes, we're actually gonna get a pen test of the company we're trying to acquire, and then use that as a bargaining chip to say, ooh, it turns out that there's this many millions of dollars of uh, security debt that needs to be paid off, so we're just gonna you know drop our price. Um, so so there's a bunch of different applications of penetration testing, um, and some of them work really well, some of them some of them don't. Uh, I'd say one of the common misconceptions of penetration testing is like, ooh, if you get a penetration test and you get a clean bill of health, you're secure. And no. that's, yeah, Drew's, no. Drew's shaking his head right now. <laughs> um, and I, I, we're, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of, of security consulting just in general uh, towards the end of the episode. But one of the big problems uh, that, w- that we'll talk about more there is the issue of scope. So generally speaking, a penetration test is going to have a very constrained scope. Um, there are cases where that's not true. There's cases where it's a kind of open scope, and those are those are pretty fun. Um, but when you have a constrained scope, that is in no way, shape, or form representative of what a real bad actor would be looking at. Like a, a real bad, I, I I think I actually have a shirt from Drew's company, Red Mesa, <laughs> that uh, that says on the front of it that that's out of scope said no attacker ever yeah it is uh and and it's funny enough actually there are like five other consultancies that i recently just learned that also have printed that on their shirts now Mm -hmm. i was like "Mm." trendsetter yeah just wait until my trademark gets approved uh no (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but I mean, that that's the truth. Right. And and that saying came up after a meeting when I started my company, uh, a, a group was uh, that we eventually did not work with uh, because they weren't ready for what a pen test really entailed. Um, but they're like, we're going to we want these items in scope. And I was like, OK, that's fine. Um, tell me about your core process, your core business processes. And it turns out that their core business processes had nothing to do with the items in scope, though they were presenting it in a meeting that we had beforehand uh, with their upper management as this is a test of our core business processes. And comes about, well, they don't want us to test their core business processes because they're worried that we would find some bad things and it would make them look bad. And in a pen test in general, at least how we treat pen tests, there, there are some pen tests where we come in and we're asked to just stomp another organization, right? And we'll, we'll do that regardless. Um, but a lot of times when we like give the results, it's not a, oh my gosh, look at all the bad things that you did. Like you all suck. We're all awesome. Uh, it's a, okay, we're going to give you a report, and this report is to be used as a tool against upper management to give you the proper funding and other resources needed to address these items and future items so you don't become the front page of the uh, of the New York Times or something like that, right? How about reverse engineering? You reverse engineering is so much fun. Yep. So, um, uh, I, I could talk about software reverse engineering and hardware reverse engineering uh fellas is there like physical reverse engineering is that a thing uh there is um with locks <clears> like pulling like locks for locks yeah we have we have we have a, a few lock manufacturers that actually come to us to like reverse engineer the mechanical devices uh when it comes to reverse engineering uh it's primarily based around hardware and software uh, with software, it can um, be, for example, uh, phone apps, or it could be software that runs on your computer. And when it's provided, it's a black box, and the task is just to figure out how it works. Uh, there are a couple different motivations for doing that. And I'll come back to the motivations after going over hardware a bit. Hardware reverse engineering generally comes down to a client providing the consultant with a widget. And in my experience, it generally comes down to being provided with multiple widgets because the process of hardware reverse engineering is, or it can be very destructive. It's generally very destructive <laughs> for me. I, I can never put anything back together correctly. Uh, so whether software or hardware, you have a black box and you're trying to figure out how it works. And depending on who is paying you for this contract, um, the motivations for the work, um, they can diverge in a couple different ways. So if a company is paying the consultant to look at a black box that they do not own, then it might be motivated for due diligence. A concrete example of this is when a large multi-billion dollar company is considering using either a new uh, hardware manufacturer or a or they're considering uh, con contracting out some of their software development. And at that point, a consultant will be hired to um, look at the hardware or software and just see how it can be broken. Uh, from the viewpoint of uh, an attacker. And then uh, there are a couple of other different motivations. Uh, for example, there's uh, competitive intelligence and uh, intellectual property rights and infringement. Well, what do you guys think of that? I think reverse uh, engineering is great. Yeah, I mean, so reverse engineering, I love. And I actually, I wish we did more of it here at my company. Um, but it is, uh, let's, let's talk, let's talk about intellectual property and infringement. And then let's talk about the spicy subject of competitive intelligence, right? Yeah. Uh, so intellectual property infringement, we have had companies come to us and they're like, Hey, 
we're pretty sure that our competitor like stole some of our IP uh, or they'll have like a large set of employees go over to that competitor. Uh, and then all of a sudden their competitor's product acts and looks very similar to their own. So we'll be asked to reverse engineer their product, uh, which usually is not much reverse engineering because they just give us everything. Uh, and then we'll re reverse engineer the the competitor's product of theirs and we'll find like, holy crap, yes, uh, you know, there are blatant like copy and paste of hundreds of lines of code into a particular product or, um, you know, uh, this vulnerability that affects these series of products of yours happen to work exactly the same for your competitor. Like the, the vulnerabilities translate one to one. That shouldn't happen uh, unless there is, you know, some type of blatant IP infringement. And this this has been seen in the industry uh, in a lot of places. Uh, I'll call out uh, a company because I don't care if they get angry at me. Uh, the company Huawei, uh, they're a Chinese firm. Uh, they blatantly steal like most of their stuff um, and uh, to the point where like a Cisco router will have a vulnerability and this product will have the exact same vulnerability. Uh, you reverse engineer the code and it's just like, that's hmm, crazy. 10,000 lines of this code is the exact same copy pasta from like Cisco itself. I wonder what happened here. They, they right? got it from Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally copied it from Pastebin. Uh, totally non-suspicious. Uh, but yeah, it's. It, I mean, there are examples like that, right? So Huawei is a terrible company that that does that, and I don't care calling them out because what are they going to do? Be like, that's not true, and be like, <laughs> there there are so many white papers proving that it is true. Um, but then competitive intelligence. And competitive intelligence, I think, falls into two categories. Uh, one is government, and one is private sector. And we'll talk about the least, the less spicy of the two uh, first, which I believe, in my opinion, is government. Maybe some other people will think it's it's more spicy, but uh, uh, and this is really how, like, I when I was running a research lab, this is this is part of our task that we were given. We would get a radio. Uh, and, and well, the radio wasn't always of a foreign adversary. How about that? That's the tricky. Oh man, that's the spicy part. Sometimes we're given American radios and they're like, find Ooh. vulnerabilities in it. And like, cool. So you want to fix these? And they're like, no. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that so you want to target the teams that they're using? What? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I learned about false flag operations. Now, um, <laughs> so... <laughs> we would be given these devices and, you know, many times these devices would not be uh, written in a language which we understood, uh, at least no one on my team understood. Uh, and we would have to um, reverse engineer them. And sometimes you're only given one, right? So a set of the destructive approach uh, where we have like 20 devices and we could just start taking like, you know, mills to them to open them up. We have to be very careful because there's a lot of like anti-tamper stuff in there. Um, and then we can find the vulnerabilities and then the warfighter can have the unfair advantage on the battlefield. Right now, competitive intelligence when it comes to companies, private companies, uh, this is where a company will and they might frame it as like we're looking for intellectual property infringement. And it's just like, no, you're not. You're looking to build your next product. Um but they'll look at a product. And a lot of times, a lot of companies have moved this internal instead of having it external. Uh, but there are still some companies that will do it externally where they pay a firm that they have a good relationship with. And they're like, we want you to look at this product. And it's like, hmm, this product oddly looks like your competitor's product. Um, and they're like, yep, we want a black box on it. Uh, so you start like diving into it and you start listing out not just vulnerabilities, but engineering uh, oddities, design oddities, and design improvements which can be made onto a particular product. And this is done every day in any business environment. This is not like, you know, only the evil corporations do this. Nope. Nope. Everyone does this. In fact, so much so that I've seen non-for-profits do this against each other, which is really weird. Yes. 
yeah, it was a very strange case. Um, we did not take that job, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, so, so it is something that is done in the consulting world for competitive ad- advantage, whether it be for the military or for private industry. The other things that we were going to talk about that we don't have so much time with it. There's also forensic investigation. There's not really too much to say there other than you go in after the fact and find it, it's the whodunit of the, of the security world. And then there's enterprise services, which are effectively um, staff augmentation security roles where it's like, okay, we're, we, we can't hire security full time, but we're at least going to have somebody really knowledgeable on, um, you know, on contract in a position where they can be involved in important conversations. So, so those are two other kind of flavors of security consulting. But the last thing that I want us to talk about before we, before we wrap this episode up is really pros and cons. Um of of dealing with security consultants uh, as as both the enterprise and the individual because i think that you know i drew runs his own consultancy i got out of consulting uh and and logan i mean you've been you've been kind of i consult on the side consult on the side yeah and and so we, we all have a bit of experience here and i think some some different viewpoints as well so i'll start with kind of from from an enterprise viewpoint um the pros of dealing with security consultants is is one kind of you don't have to have it full time right so you you have the ability to get security feedback in limited form and in a cheaper investment than if you had somebody hired full time at your firm and you're able to get things done quickly um and 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 these are these are commonly pros but at the same time, I think I, I think they're indicative of of one of the problems that that folks have, and in, in the way that they're framing their interactions with security consultancies is uh, like, like on the on the con side. I feel like you get a false sense of security in a lot of cases on the enterprise side. It's like, oh, I got this penetration test. They looked at this particular thing. I fixed those vulnerabilities. I'm good. When no, the constrained scope uh, is not representative of your risks, and it's a point in time assessment. Um, and and what's what's more is if you don't have good security chops on your team already, coming up with a scope of like this is the work that needs to be done is difficult, right? Like like How if you, you don't do actually, that? yeah, exactly. If you don't have the expertise to say here's the stuff that we actually need to have assessed then it, it, you're just kind of shooting from the hip and figure, oh, you know, it, it, there's a weird smell coming from that closet. Please go look in it, uh, is, is roughly the amount of, of, you know, credibility that is, that is put into the derivation of scope. But what do, y'all, what do y'all think about kind of security consulting pros and cons uh, on, on the enterprise side? Hmm. I mean, so I run a consultancy, right? And... We, you would typically hear a consultancy be like, yeah, you should hire experts, you know, without having to, uh, uh, you know, have them on full time. Uh, you're hearing it from someone that runs a security consultancy. So when you hear it, you should probably know this is fairly unbiased because I should be biased in the other way. I'm a very strong, um, proponent, uh, you know, I, I feel very strongly that experts, Qualified experts should be hired on the team when possible. You shouldn't be outsourcing all this all the time. Outsourcing uh, your security expertise uh, should be done very tactfully. Uh, should not be done as a replacement of hiring those mm-hmm. experts on your team because it will mm-hmm. be infinitely more expensive for you in the long run, right? To hire one of my consultants to be on your project for, uh, you know, uh, for a few months will generally cost more than what it will cost for someone to be on staff for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you're going to have is a consultant that has a very deep understanding of your your network, of your product, of your offerings, of your vision. Uh, And then as soon as you, like, don't want to pay those prices, you're going to lose all that knowledge until you hire that person back, right? Um, where if you do that internally, you can save money in the long run. So we're always, and, and clients get 
you know, confused sometimes when they hear us say this. They're like, wait, doesn't that hurt like your business practice if we do that? And it's like, yeah, it does. Uh, but it's better for you. And that's why you need to do it. So I, I think like there's a point in time where you hire consultants and there's a point in time where you need to hire those those external experts. Mm-hmm. But don't treat it as like the end all be all or the fix for everything when it comes to your security uh, team or your engineering team and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would think that's one of the uh, cons. It, it's a pro from the enterprise viewpoint, but it becomes a con if it's used too much. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. Nick. That's going to cause you less sales. I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, after having this discussion, uh, there's there's quite a bit of nuance here. It, it comes down in my mind to if you're an enterprise, you have to be able to uh, find a consultant who is who has your best intentions in mind. I'm fit, yeah, looking at you, Drew. Luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's it's one of the reasons. It is one of the core reasons why I started my consultancy is because you don't find that in a lot of consultancies, right? Mm-hmm. And I was getting sick and tired of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to start a software company, <laughs> but I started a consultancy because I was getting tired of that. One that was one of the three points I was getting tired of. What you just brought up, Logan, is someone not having the best interests of the client, right? Yeah, and then and then on the flip side, I find it very interesting that there are some jobs you won't take because the company is looking for a checkbox. But what they really need is someone to convince them that no, they need to build a, a more secure product. And I'm not uh, sure how to go about that. Yeah, so 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 we classify that under strategic advisory services. Um where a company thinks they need XYZ, and we'll do XYZ for them, but we will explain to them, like in the report, like this is actually what you need. Th- this is what you need um, in the long term. And, and sometimes it comes down to, uh, you know, you need to change how your reporting structure on your executive team works with security. Um, if your CISO reports to the CIO, and then the CIO reports to the CEO, no bueno, not anymore, right? That was cool in 2016, 2010 timeframe, but not not anymore. Um, and that like those type of items uh, or, or like this is what you think you need to look at, but you actually have these type of issues here, here and here. Uh, and you need to focus on these issues first because they're going to save you a lot of pain in the future like these are your high risk areas that you didn't even know existed so we'll do that um but uh you can generally tell from the companies that are like they just don't know what they don't know to -hmm. the companies that are like we don't care we just want to get that checkbox right and i i want to say one thing on that before we move to the the individual viewpoint or you know pros and cons to the individual is you know i I'm not sure that we are well qualified to say whether or not the checkbox is actually what's right, right? Like there are actually there are, there is compliance that doesn't make very much sense, but people that are parties that have to be compliant, and in actuality, that compliance doesn't really provide any level of security guarantee. And this is this is again a downside of going with a consultancy is the consultancy is probably going to come from the standpoint of more secure is better, right? And Look, I would love for that to be the way the world worked is the best product is going to be the most secure one. The best enterprise is going to be the most secure one. But in actuality, that is not true. That's not it's not true at all. So like, again, in dealing with a consultancy that specializes in security, you should expect that the outcome is going to say, well, the main thing that we're prioritizing here is security. And we also don't have the context necessary to balance that with other forces within the business. Uh, So it's going to be skewed towards prioritizing security because that's what you paid for. That is what you hired. That is what you're you're going to be getting. But at the end of the day, to be making informed decisions around what you should be doing as an enterprise with respect to security, you really need somebody internally that is more involved in the business that understands kind of what role does security actually play? Because unfortunately... And it's improving. But unfortunately, right now, in a lot of cases, security is just not important. 
you see like a breach happen. It's like, oh, 550 million user records are now like on the public internet from Facebook. And, and you just see no it. No one cares. Eh, whatever. It's like, yeah. So, <laughs> so if nobody cares and nobody's going to hop off the system or stop spending their money, what what is the argument to say that security is actually really important? Because as far as the empirical evidence seems to indicate, in that case, it's not important. Yep. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like from a anti-security viewpoint, all companies that have a, had a major breach and they're still in business, all their stock and they're publicly traded, all they're their up. stocks are worth a lot more now. Yep. Right? Not because yeah. of the breach, but just because business happens. Right? Target got hacked. Oh my gosh! No one's gonna shop there ever again. Nope. No one gave a damn. I right? love Target. <laughs> yeah, I shop there all the time. Yeah. So, so I, I just like that. That's the last thing that I want to call out as one of the cons is, in order for you to really make informed decisions around how to improve security or what's going on with security in your enterprise, you need to have that force internal. Um, because they need to be much better attuned towards what is this business actually. And when you have a consultancy come in, unless you've been working with them for years and they're effectively staff augmentation, which begs the question as to why are they not just hired internally already, then <laughs> they're going to lack that that context. So, so all right. So, let's let's put enterprises aside. We've talked about pros and cons there. And now for the individual. So let's say that you, listener, are thinking that you want to become a security consultant. Uh, what are the pros and cons? And I'm going to run down the list of my pros first and then and then open the floor here. Like, I love that I was a pen tester. I loved being a security consultant. I think that it. I grew my network. So I got to work with a bunch of different companies. I got to see a bunch of cool tech. I mean, basically, you have these companies saying like, hey, we built this thing. We need it to be reviewed. You get to see how other people put software together. You get to see how they engineer technology. You get to see all this cool stuff. And you get to be a criminal as a penetration tester, effectively. <laughs> like if you had told 13-year-old me, hey, you can break into Fortune 500 companies, get paid to do it, and it's legal and they'll like it, I would have been like, you kidding me, right? That's like, why I got started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so... So it's really, it's really fun, I think, especially when you realize like, oh, I can, I, I know how to get into things. It's gratifying. It's a great way to build a network and to understand how technology is put together. And it's, it's lucrative. So there's, there's a, there's a lot to say about the positives, at least for penetration testing, you know, code review, it's it's still fun. It's it's different. Reverse engineering, I throw right into the same bucket. But like, there's there's a lot of real real positives uh, when it comes to the the individual. Yeah, and another thing, uh, a secondary positive is not just because you get to touch a lot of cool tech, you will have a deeper understanding of of the tech, and that makes it easier for you to know what tech you want to use in your life. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like a it is a hidden gem within pen testing uh, and, and security consulting as a whole. Right. Um, do you have any pros, Logan? There's a lot of cons. Well, I mean, I think you all <laughs> pretty well covered it. It's have fun, get paid. And I do think it's one of the best ways <laughs> like to uh, um, build experience in your network very quickly. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yep. And it's also a way to get your foot in the door as well, because uh, because there's there's you know there's varying levels of seniority within security consulting, and so there's a lot of security consultancies. There's a lot of work to be done. If you can show a little bit of aptitude, being hired in as a junior is usually on the table, and that's a great way to get in. Mm -hmm. Now let's let's talk about the cons, and I'll start off with two cons here. Um, as a consultant. And as a consultancy, you only know what you are told generally by the company. So you don't have the full vision of what you are really looking into uh, or the full vision of the company. And that comes into the business side of things, like what Chris was talking about beforehand, um, where, you know, you, you may not be as impactful as you think you are 
uh, because of that limited view of what you are you are given and that limited time you have with that company, right? And, and that in itself can be detrimental um, to the security team and to to your consultancy uh, and you as the consultant because you only know what you you are told, and, and very limited are you do you see past that as in a whole vision type of thing for the security team. So it, it is that limits your impact in the grand scheme of items for that business. Right. Um, and, and that is, that was like kind of like a two for one combo there on the con. And, and that is sometimes it, once you like realize that as a consultant, you're like, my job means nothing. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I really struggle with in this industry is the self-importance that a lot of people seem to have. And I think this this goes hand in hand with what I was what I was talking about before uh, and how like you don't understand how what the work you're doing actually fits into the bi- bigger picture. A lot of the consultants that I have worked with both as coworkers as well as parties that I've hired the they, they maintain this notion that it's like, well, you know, if, if it's not secure, it's not worth it. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a theme that you see through a lot of our industry is this kind of holier than thou security is the most important thing. And oh, just, just any, oh God, this is so stupid that it's, that it's not secure. Oh, who could have written this code to be this bad or anything? Like, and these people have not written code before, have not been on an engineering team before, have only been in consulting. Like, it is they're not building things. They're they're not building things, right? And the mm-hmm. so you run the risk of when you're a cons- security consultant and you haven't ever been on the other side of that equation, you run the risk of this you've really misjudged how important your work is. Um you've really misjudged how your work is going to be used and when you make that misjudgment, not only are you being ineffective with the work that you're delivering, you are uh honestly doing doing the rest of the industry a disservice because the like the industry at this point does have this reputation of ah oh my god they're the sky is falling constantly with these people so you can't really take them seriously like like the, everything is always terrible so just what it's, it's it's the boy who cried wolf right like when you say everything is bad when it's actually bad it's much harder to get people to listen to you because they're so yeah. used to people just screaming about how bad everything is. Um, and, and for me, one of the things that finally convinced me to get out of uh, offensive testing and security consulting is the here's how a pen test always goes. If you have done a pen test with this company before. Step one, get last year's report. Step two, retry everything that was reported in that report. Step three, start writing the new report because all that stuff still works. It's, it's ineffectual, right? And for me, it's like I like I like seeing that I am making a difference. I like seeing that my work is actually contributing to something meaningful. Um, you know, bleeding hard over here, and I just saw time and time again. I was like, I thought that this was really important. I thought the work that I did was really cool, and then I did this thing, and then all these like hacking tricks and stuff. And in actuality, clearly, it wasn't important enough because the problems aren't actually getting fixed. And that's the point at which I was like, okay, well, I'm going to jump to the other side and be the one either authoring the software or, you know, architecting the network or doing whatever to prevent this from happening. Uh, but, but yeah, that was one of my big takeaways is like, look, if I really actually do care about security and I want to improve security, I want to actually make meaningful improvement, then you got to be on the other side. You got to be in the team. You got to be the one making decisions. You got to be part of the company. Uh, you can't just do this as an external party and expect to have a significant impact, like, like overly significant impact. And that's that's the Drew's point of, you know, wielding a third party consultancy as an enterprise correctly involves basically how we know there's a problem over here. We haven't been able to convince people or we don't know the full scale of it, whatever. We do this. We have this penetration test. We have this code review. We have whatever. We get the results of that. And then we're able to bubble that information upwards and either get more buy-in 
or a, a bigger seat at the table or more funding, but you're able to actually prove, hey, we told you there was a problem over here. We had this this uh, objective third party confirm, and now we're now 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 we have the ammunition necessary to fight the problem. Uh, we're way over time on this podcast, but this one part has to be said as a con on the individual level. Your job as a pen tester, as a reverse engineer, as whatever you want it to be, no matter how cool you think hacking into everything is, your job is not that. Your job is that of a report writer. And you better, better love it because writing <laughs> writing 40-page to 500-page reports is the norm. Yep. And you'll be yeah. doing it on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The number of reports that I've written with you, Drew. i'm very terrible at writing reports that's why my first hire was a qa person (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but yeah but that's uh that's it Uh, let's uh let's do the three takeaways the three takeaways for today's episode are one security consulting can be highly effective in limited narrowly scoped engagements two if an enterprise is not careful, the outcome of a security consulting engagement will provide less value than originally thought. And three, working as a consultant is a great way to get applicable experience in the information security world. Security consulting can be both rewarding and challenging, but if expectations are not set on both sides, it can be a costly exercise with limited value. The field of security consulting is nearly limitless as companies are always requiring experts to assist them. Whether you're looking to solve some security problems on the enterprise side or to cut your teeth on the individual side, security consulting is something worth considering. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.